Let's dive right into the text, shall we? We've got a juicy one today. A juicy one. If you're new with us, we've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And so let's turn now to Mark chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 38, and we'll go through chapter 13, verse 2. So Mark 12, verse 38, through chapter 13, verse 2. Mark 12, 38. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most beautiful seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Chapter 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. This is God's word. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking. You're thinking, oh, great. Here comes the sermon on giving. That's what you're thinking. Oh, man, I invited some guests today. <laughs> Now we've got to listen to a sermon on giving. Well, actually, you don't. Actually, you don't. This is not a sermon on giving. Though you are right to expect that. You're right to expect that because that is virtually the universal application of this story. It's virtually always used to tell us how we ought to give. That we ought to give like this widow gave. In fact, I personally have never heard a sermon preached any other way. Never. But today's sermon won't be like that. Let me tell you why. Let's back up just a little bit before we look at what I feel is the correct interpretation. Let's, let's back up and remind ourselves where we are in the story. Okay? This is Jesus' last week. In fact, at this point, he only has a few days left of his life. Just a few days left. This is Wednesday of Passion Week. Okay? Wednesday of Passion Week. This is the final week of Jesus' life. So the ministry of our Lord in these three years has come to an end. It's over. No more gospel invitations. No more miracles. 
No more clarifications to the crowds and to the leaders. No more sermons. He's done. Okay? Jesus is finished. And so, starting in chapter 12, verse 38, comes a message of judgment. A message of judgment. Notice Jesus' condemnation of the scribes and Pharisees in verse 40 when he says, These men will be punished most severely. They'll be punished most severely. Then in chapter 13, verse 2, did you notice? Jesus gives a prophecy of destruction that will happen in 70 A.D. When the Roman Empire invades Jerusalem and destroys the temple, the city, and essentially the nation of Israel. This is the judgment of God against Israel that will stretch all the way until Jesus returns. Okay? So, in our story today, we have two extremely harsh judgments, don't we? Do you see that? On one end, we have a judgment of false teachers in verses 38 through 40, right? And then we have a pronunciation of severe judgment against Israel in chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. Two severe judgments. And in between these two judgments is what? It's a little vignette about a widow. In between these two severe judgments. The question then is this. What does this widow have to do with anything? What does she have to do with anything? Why is this story here? I mean, it almost seems out of place, doesn't it? We have severe judgment and severe judgment and then a little vignette about a widow. What's she here for? Well, the traditional explanation of this passage is that it is a beautiful lesson on giving. It's just a beautiful lesson on giving, and that's how most pastors preach it. But what's interesting is that those preachers don't all agree on what the lesson is. They'll all tell you that this is a lesson on giving, but they can't agree on what exactly the lesson is. You see, if you were this afternoon to go home and go on YouTube and type in this story about the widow, let's say you go through about 50 sermons on the widow, you would find many different views on what the lessons are in regards to giving. Multiple different ones. Here are a few of the most common. One, they'll say that Jesus is teaching that the measure of a gift is not how much you give, but how much you have left over after you give, right? The measure is not the amount of the gift, but the amount you have left after the gift. A second option that you'll hear preached is that the true measure of a gift is the self-denial involved. Self-denial, the cost to the individual. How much did it cost you? Obviously, the widow gave the highest percentage. She gave 100% of what she had. And so the lesson then is about the percentage that you're supposed to give. A third possible lesson that you will often hear 
it's also related to the other two, is that the true measure of any gift is the attitude with which you give it. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. That's what you'll hear, right? So is your gift selfless? Is it cheerful? Is it humble? Is it devoted? The widow, we are told, she had the least left behind, she gave the highest percentage, and she had the best attitude. She had the best attitude. Now, in spite of the enormous popularity of these views, none of them make a hill of beans of sense to me. They don't make a hill of beans of sense. None. I don't think any of those interpretations are biblical. Why? Because Jesus never made any of those points. Did he? He never said anything about what should be left behind after you give. He never said anything about what percentage, what attitude you should have. Nothing. The reason preachers can't agree on the giving lessons is because there is no giving lesson in the story. That's why they all can't agree. In fact, Jesus doesn't say anything about giving except that the widow gave more than anyone else. But he doesn't say with what attitude. He doesn't say why she gave. Her outward action is all that we see in the story. It's all that we see. It is no more good, bad, indifferent, humble, proud, selfish, unselfish than anyone else's giving. There is no judgment made on her giving to its true character. There's nothing said about her attitude or her spirit. She could be acting out of devotion. She could be a cheerful giver. Or not. We don't know. She could be get, acting out of self-righteousness. She could be acting out of fear. We just don't know because Jesus doesn't say anything about it. If Jesus wants to teach us about giving through this widow, wouldn't he have just plainly said, Hey, you folks, see this lady? You give like her. You give the way she gave. She had a good attitude, she gave maximum percentage, and what she had left behind was very little. This is the kind of sacrificial giving I'm after. Why wouldn't he have just said that? He doesn't say that because this story has nothing to do with giving. And this little story about the widow in between the two judgments is not random. It has everything to do with the two judgments on either side of it. Only one comment in the whole story about giving is even made. All Jesus said is she gave more than the rest, period. That's all he said. No comment that the Lord appreciated her. No comment that she had now made it into the kingdom. No invitations to the disciples to reach into their wallets and throw in everything they had because if it was good enough for the widow, then it should be good enough for the disciples. None of that. And so for these reasons, I wholesale reject the traditional explanations of this story. So what exactly is this story about the widow about? 
What's it about? It's pretty awesome, actually. It's way better than the traditional explanation. You see, the assumption interpreting this as a model for Christian giving is that Jesus was pleased with what she did. Jesus, we always picture him watching her give with just a smile on his face. He's got his hands folded, and he's just smiling. Ah, look at her. We just play the story in our minds that way. Jesus is looking on, he's smiling, he's pleased, and he's giving her two thumbs up. But as we've noted, the story doesn't say anything like that. It does not say that Jesus looked at her with a smile. It doesn't say that he approved of her gift. In fact, I think what this widow did greatly angered Jesus. I think it greatly angered him, if not more than anything else in his life. This may have angered Jesus the most. Let me put it to you this way. How would you feel if you saw this happen? How would you feel? How would you feel if you saw a destitute widow who only had two pennies left to her name? Give those two pennies to a religious system so that she could then go home and die. I'm just being real. What would you think? Would you fold your hands together and say, oh, how sweet. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> I know exactly how you would feel. I know exactly what you would say because you would feel and say the same thing I would. If you saw that happen, you would say, something is wrong with this system. If it takes the last two pennies out of a widow's hand, something's bad wrong. That's what you would say. This scene in our text today would make you sick. You would be repulsed by it. And it does the same thing to Jesus. It does exactly the same thing to Jesus. Jesus witnessed a corrupt religious system taking the last two pennies out of a, out of a widow's pocket. You see, in desperation, she gave her two pennies because she hoped that maybe in that legalistic works-based system that her two coins would buy her a blessing. She thought they might buy her a blessing because that's what they told her. That's what they told her to do. You see, Jewish rabbis in the first century taught that with alms, you purchase your salvation. You purchase the blessings you want from Yahweh. You have to give them your money in order to get a blessing from God. This was the origin of what we know today to be the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. This is a gospel that says, give me your money, says the preacher, says the televangelist. Give me all your money. And then God will multiply it back to you. 
hear me today. That is heretical hogwash. It's hogwash. <laughs> I want to use a much stronger word than hogwash. <laughs> but I'm just going to stick with hogwash. Y'all know what hogwash means? Okay. Just to stick with that for now. I've got a much stronger word on my mind, but I'm not going to say it. It's heretical hogwash. I mean, let's just think real hard here. Let's think. Let's put our thinking caps on. What is it about Jesus? What is it about Jesus that makes you think he wants a widow to give her last two pennies to the church? What is it about Jesus that makes you think he wants her to do that? I mean, you can't find Jesus acting anything like that anywhere else in the Gospels. And you can't find God acting like that anywhere in the entire Bible. It's ridiculous to suggest otherwise. Put some money in the plate to get a blessing. It's absurd. It's absurd. It's unbiblical. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Yahweh of the, of the Bible either. In fact, there are many, many, many exhortations all throughout Scripture to care for the poor, to care for the widow, and not to abuse them. I had a professor in Bible college. He said he wanted to read through the entire Bible as quickly as possible. So he'd read through it a bunch of times, but, you know, just kind of meandering his way through it. He said, I decided I wanted to read through it quickly like as quickly as I could, to see if I could catch any overarching themes. He thought he might be able to catch some overarching themes doing it like that. And so uh, he read the whole thing in a couple months. And he said, reading it that quickly, one overarching theme jumped out above all the rest. And would you like to know what that theme is? He said it was God's Radical concern for the poor. That's what jumped out. Reading the Bible like that. God's radical concern. His overwhelming concern for the poor. But, sadly, the system that had developed in first century Judaism abused the poor. Took advantage of the situation they were in. And it abused them not only on a physical level, but on a spiritual level too. You see, this woman was part of a system that took the last two pennies out of her hand on the pretense that it was necessary for her to do that in order for her to please God. Necessary. Folks, this is not an illustration of heartfelt, sacrificial giving that pleases the Lord. It's not. This is not a model for us to follow. No, something very different is going on here. At the end of a whole day of teaching, talking, confronting, and interacting, the sheer physical effort in and of itself left Jesus exhausted. He is spent. But then, 
in addition to the physical exhaustion, he sees this. Look at verses 41 and 42. He's so tired, he has to sit down. See, look at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. This Jewish religious system had developed... Let me just help you see what's going on here. They had developed a ridiculous public spectacle of religious offerings. It's ridiculous. The Pharisees actually had trumpets blown on their arrival to give their money. Trumpets blown (laughs) to announce their arrival to give in the treasury. Now, what is the treasury? Well, the court in which Jesus was sitting and watching all this in was a very large open court in the temple. Very large. It was called the court of the women. The court of the women. You see, there was an inner court where only men could go. But this is the court where everyone could go. Okay? Everyone could go here, men and women. Children, everybody. So Jesus taught there. He taught there. Because that's who Jesus is. (laughs) He's not a men-only kind of savior, you know. He's men, women, and children kind of Savior. Red and yellow, black and white kind of Savior. And so he taught here so everyone could hear him. Now, this was called the treasury because there was a section of it that the leaders had designed as the place you give your money. And they had set it up with 13 shofars. 13 shofars. What in the world is a shofar? A shofar is like a trumpet-like instrument. It's like a big horn. Okay, blow it, it makes some absurd noise. It, does, it doesn't really even make sound, it makes noise, okay? <laughs> it just makes a lot of noise. And they'd set these up at the front, okay? So they got these 13 big shofars up at the front. And so when you gave your money, you were supposed to come forward and you would drop your coins in the various shofars, the end of the shofar, Okay? Now, as you put your coins in, as you can imagine, the sound of the money dropping in the, in the horns would make noise. It would make a noise for all to hear. And of course, the more money, the louder the noise. And the louder the noise, the more holy you are. The more righteous you are. And so here comes the Pharisees, trumpets a-blowing as they are walking down the aisle. Of course, they've got these big bags full of coins. So as everyone is looking on, they dump their big bags into the shofars. And of course, what happens? It just makes a ridiculous noise, obnoxious noise, all the clanging and banging as the coins go down, 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 down into all the trumpets. And this, my friends, is the real heartbeat of false religion. The center of false religion is the treasury. It's all about the money. So, 
as our tired Savior lifts up his eyes to watch this ridiculous spectacle. He sees poor, deceived souls putting their coins in, trying to buy a blessing, trying to buy a blessing. And of course, he sees the rich putting their gifts in, right? And it's bang, 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 bang. It's making all this noise. And they're getting all this acclaim. They're so holy, so righteous. They were putting in a substantial amount, yes. But of course, they still had plenty left over. It was all a show. And after Jesus watches the rich and wealthy religious teachers pour bags and bags of coins down, the Lord sees a certain poor widow drop in two tiny coins. Her offering makes hardly any noise at all going down the shofar. There was no fanfare for her. There was no applause for her gift. She's just trying to buy a blessing. Because she's just a poor widow. Now, wait a minute. Speaking of poor widows, did we not just read something about poor widows in verses 38? 40. Let's read it in case you forgot. Verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. They'll be punished most severely. So Jesus here blasts religious leaders for their abuse of widows, right? He blasts them. And then immediately, what do we see in the next story? We see an example of them abusing a widow. Here you have, in our story, a destitute and abused widow, one of the ones just discussed in verses 38 through 40. How could you not make the connection? <laughs> this isn't a beautiful little story of sacrificial giving thrown in here. No. No. This is a living example of the abuse of the Jewish religious system. Here was one of the poorest citizens belittled by the religious establishment because they believed, you see, she was in a state of punishment from God. The Jewish rabbis taught. Here's what they taught. They said that if you're poor, it's because you're being punished by God for some type of sin. Some type of sin you did or some type of sin that your parents did or something like that, okay? And so they thought they were helping God by punishing the widows. 
by punishing the poor. It, they thought it was righteous judgment to do that to the poor. This poor widow was defenseless, and they exploited her, as they did all of the poor and all the widows. And these religious leaders took her last two pennies. They took them right out of her hand. And as verse 44 says, they were all she had to live on. It's all she had. Babe, can you turn the uh, fan off on that? They took the last two pennies out of her hand. It was all she had to live on. And Jesus puts them on blast because he knew exactly what was about to happen to her. She was about to go home and die. She was about to go home and die. You can just turn the temperature up. Nice try, babe. <laughs> Um, she was about to go home and die. So this religious system literally demanded her life. I said, well, that's how the cookie crumbles. You know, you're in sin. So you're a big fat sinner. Sorry. Hand it over. That was the system that this woman was in. And so do you get the picture? Are you getting the picture of what this story is really about? Jesus is not commending her. She is a victim. She's a victim. He's not making example of her as this great sacrificial giver. No, he is exposing the corrupt religious system that is taking advantage of the most poor in their society. And Jesus is furious. He's furious. And that's why he says in chapter 13, verse 2, I'm tearing this whole thing down. Let's look at it. Look at chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher. See, he's looking at the temple. Look, teacher. Look how pretty. What massive stones. What magnificent buildings. Isn't it lovely, Jesus? And what does Jesus say? He says, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Everyone. Jesus says, when I'm done with this, there won't be one stone left on top of the other. You all do know the chapters and verses in the Bible are a new thing, right? When the Bible was originally written, there was no chapters and no verses. And I think the fellow who separated Chapter 12 and, verse, and chapter 13 made a grave mistake here because what he did was he, he separated this story of judgment out by putting a new chapter in right here. 
And so it makes you think that the two things are not connected. But they are. Jesus sees this corrupt religious system taking advantage of a poor widow. Then he immediately, I imagine him just blood red in the face. He can't stand to watch it anymore. He gets up from his seat. He, looks, he walks outside with his disciples with balled up fists. They don't get it. They don't know what's going on. And they say, look, Jesus, look how pretty it all is. And Jesus says, I'm tearing the whole thing down. I'm tearing it all down. Now, isn't this amazing? Yeah. <laughs> of all the things that could have been the trigger to set off the destruction of the temple, it was the abuse of this widow that was the last straw for Jesus. That was the last straw. He's had enough. He's done. This system is coming down. And come down it did. In 70 AD, Jesus allowed the Roman Empire to march straight through Jerusalem. And they tore that temple down brick by brick. And guess what? I've been to Jerusalem. There still ain't no temple in Jerusalem. And what set it all off? The abuse of this poor widow in our story. That temple's gone. It was the most magnificent structure in the world at this time. And Jesus said, it's coming down. Because they abuse the people I love. They abuse the people that I care about. And they make a mockery of my gospel. A mockery of the gospel. Don't you see? When Jesus announced the beginning of his ministry, he stood up in the synagogue. And what did he say? This is what he said. Quote, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. <laughs> this widow is not an example for us to follow. She is not a picture of us and what we should do for Jesus. No, she's a picture of Jesus and what he did for us. What he did for us. You see, Jesus did not come to take from people like this widow. No, he came to shower them with his glorious presence and eternal blessings. That's what he came to do. He came to bless them. And how would he do that? Just three days later, on the Friday of this very week, we'll see him do it. We'll see him do it. We'll see Jesus and this widow trade places. We'll see Jesus abused and destitute so that this woman and so that you and me can be comforted and richly blessed forever and ever. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, folks, you don't purchase a blessing from God. Jesus purchased your blessing from God. And he purchased it with his own blood. And now all he wants to do is just shower you with it for free. For free. You ain't got to work for it. You ain't got to pay for it. It comes free of charge. Folks, we didn't need a great example. We needed a great Savior. Someone to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we deserve to die for our sin. And that's exactly who we got in Jesus. You see, you and I were poor too. We were spiritually bankrupt. And so Jesus gave up everything. Even his last two pennies. Even his very life to save us and to set us free. Let's pray together.